0: You can't ride in my little red wagon. You can't ride in my little red wagon. Front seat's broken and the axle's dragging. Front seat's broken and the axle's dragging. Chugga, 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 chugga. Second verse, second verse, a whole lot louder and a whole lot... Ooh, what's up, y'all? This is Nick Bartlett. I'm a broadcast manager here at Sports Pack 12. I'm also a staff writer over at organsportsnews.com. And I've had over 50 articles featured in the Seattle Post and Tellinger, and this is going to be a sports Pac-12 original, the Nick Bartlett Show. So this is going to be a run-of-the-mill sports show, talking about Pac-12, hot topics of the week, and one thing I want to stress is that I'm not much different than you guys. Seriously, I work a day job. My opinion is no more valuable than yours, and I'm just grateful for your viewership, your listenership, and without further ado, let's get straight to some Pac-12 action. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome back to the Nick Bartlett Show, everybody. So, obviously, there's been a lot of news about college football regarding the states that have really good deep-fried food. In terms of the Pac-12, feels like it probably took a back seat this week with just a lot of interesting news coming out of the college football world. But with that being said, Pac-12 football is still only a couple weeks away. We're looking about three weeks, I believe now, so it's getting closer and closer. In today's episode, we're going to break down talking about how the Pac-12 will actually allow the players, family members in attendance for some games, actually kind of depending on the state litigation that sort of thing. Then we'll be breaking down the schedules of Utah, WSU, and U of A, and as always, as freaking always... We'll be talking about Bartlett's random topic of the day. is going to be just me today, ladies and gentlemen. No guests. Me in the flesh. Me in the live. Going to make it happen on the mic. In all seriousness, thank you, Dane Miller, for coming on two weeks ago. And thank you, Jack Fulman, for coming on last week. Really appreciate it. But with that being said, let's just get straight to it, man. Let's talk about some Pac-12 football. So, as mentioned in the rundown here, a petition began circulating earlier this week with the goal of allowing the parents of Pac-12 football players to be able to watch their sons play in person. The Pac-12 CEO group approved this measure on September 24th. However, what's kind of confusing here is that the article confirming this request was written earlier this week. Not exactly sure why, but either way, pretty cool stuff all around. So let me kind of reread that sentence here. The Pac-12 CEO group approved this measure on September 24th. So a while back, That's again, that's really just confusing, but again, the article confirming this request was written earlier this week. So obviously, this will only be allowed in states upon approval by the local respective health authorities and in accordance with NCAA guidelines. However, it really could be the first step considered, or excuse me, it could be the first step toward allowing fans back in our conference stadiums. And that is good news all around. I mean, college football needs fans, in my opinion. Obviously, we'll all enjoy the games either way. But that's just a big, big, big step in the right direction. The following is a direct quote from the conference, and it states, each of our member schools is working through what will be allowed in terms of family member attendance on that basis. And on Twitter, ASU star sophomore quarterback Jane Daniels shared the petition, which is addressed to the governors of all six states in Pac-12 jurisdiction, along with the mayor of Los Angeles, Eric Garcetti, and it is signed by the parents and families of football players in the Pac-12. So, (laughs) if for some reason, guys, if for some reason you didn't pick this up already, the petition essentially states that Pac-12 families believe they can safely attend games due to the huge outdoor stadiums. And one thing I really want to say is that I know it's sometimes easy to forget how many sacrifices these student-athletes make. So seriously, I'm just genuinely happy for them. I mean, you're talking about a full academic workload, and they're also doing things what some people might consider comparable to a full-time job in regards to their athletic scheduling requirements. So again, you got a full academic workload, and then the athletic requirements on top of it. That's a lot of time, guys. That's a lot of time. Not a lot just to be a regular everyday college student. So again, very happy that something is boding well in the player's favor. And another element of this is that this also includes missing holidays with family. It may sound like a little thing. It really might sound like a little thing. <laughs> I can tell you from working a job and spending a Christmas alone in Pullman that I'd prefer to be a family man. That was a lonely freaking Christmas and that's probably the understatement of the century right there. So I um, uh, went on a little tangent there. Anyways guys, in regards to general fan attendance, that still has not been permitted till, until at least January and then the conference and health authorities will revisit this issue then. The bottom line is This is the first step toward getting fans back in the stands and it should be a collective moment of joy for the student athletes in our conference. And it really does seem like a lot of players are supporting this. Obviously you got Jane Daniels, but another player who's very happy about this is going to be Stanford's quarterback, Davis Mills. He strongly supported this proposal stating again, that following is a direct quote. This potentially could be my last season of college football. And if my parents or close friends weren't able to see that it'd be tough. He also added, it would mean a great deal. So Again, just this isn't like groundbreaking news or anything with the families coming back into attendance, but I think it's just a good look for the conference. The players deserve it. The families deserve it. And just for the general fans, again, this is a step in the right direction. It may not be a huge step, but you take one step at a time. And I support the Pac-12 fully for taking this move. So guys, we're going to hop over to our next topic here which is going to be a scheduled breakdown of the three teams in conference, or excuse me, of three teams in our conference. And so last week, we talked about the imbalance schedule and took a look at some of the cross-divisional matchups favored the lead teams in conference, such as USC and Oregon. <laughs> Got some really favorable games. And we also looked at UCLA, I mean, just really for the heck of it. And keeping with the theme this week, we're going to dissect Utah, WSU, and U of A. And I didn't plan this. Seriously, I did not plan this last week when I started this all, but somehow doing three teams per episode lined up perfectly with the start of the season, like literally perfect. Gotta love when things line up like that. <laughs> really not sure how. I was doing the math at work like this. And like, ah, that's pretty cool. So, um. Anyways, since we started with some of the premier teams and conference in the last episode, we'll actually flip the script this week and start the uh, excuse me and start this segment today looking at the Wildcats schedule. So. They opened up the season at Rice Eccles against the Utes, which approved the most pivotal game of their season, in my opinion. I think a lot of people, really just a lot of people around the conference, media analysts alike. Many people have probably written off this game as an easy victory for Utah. But I'm actually here to say it may not be as easy as fans would anticipate. The Utes probably lost more talent than any other team in the conference. They'll also be replacing a new quarterback, which approved difficult. I mean, Tyler Huntley was an absolutely consistent leader. And he will probably be pretty darn difficult to replace. However, and this is, for me, the very, very, very big kicker. However, the crowd. Seriously, guys, the crowd. Rice Eccles has one of the best game day atmospheres in the conference. Maybe the country, but for sure the conference. And losing the student section known as the Mus, again, that's pronounced the Mus, that could really hurt guys. And I mean, really hurt the Utes. Obviously, Arizona will still be outmatched talent-wise, but like not by an extreme enough measure where they couldn't realistically win this game. So, guys, circle and star this. This is just about everything for U of A. They have to find a way. They have to. No option. Is it gonna be tough? Yes. Is it against the two-time South Division champs? Yes. Doesn't matter. You have to find a way to win this game if UA is gonna have any sort of decent season. After Utah. The Wildcats host USC, and then they travel up to Seattle to face the <laughs> I'm not gonna analyze uh, those games, guys. They're gonna they're gonna lose those games. I'm, obviously, you gotta play the game, but they're gonna lose them. So, if you're really looking at it, whoa, notes went all willy nilly there, guys. Give me one second here. Not sure what happened with the notes. Okay, so the notes are back. So, essentially, if you're looking at the Arizona I'm trying to like talk like I like I'm still trying to find my notes guys all right back on it so what we're looking at here is with the USC and Washington matchups they're like I said they're gonna lose those and essentially if they lose the opener to the Utes they'll likely be 0-3 which really should prove too much to overcome given the shortened six game season and the back half of their schedule does get easier but again Starting off 0-3 is probably going to be hurt, but in Game 4, they do travel to L.A. in a contest against the Bruins, and then they host Colorado and ASU to round out their slate. The two matchups against UCLA and the Buffs should prove winnable, and, you know, anything can happen in rivalry games. so, I mean, the back half of their schedule, again, is very favorable, but in regards to the balance of their schedule, I mean, it's pretty obvious that the pac 12 didn't do the Cats any favor with that... Heavy front-loading. I mean, those first three games are tough. Very, very tough. And it wouldn't be as big of a deal if they finished last year with any sort of decent performance. I mean, they lost seven straight to end last year, and they start off this year on 3 Or excuse me, if they start off this year on 3 I just think their confidence will be way too shaken to string together, even a 500 season. Really going to be too much to overcome. So bottom line is, if they don't beat the Utes, Kevin Summers should start packing his bags because he's going to be kicked the heck out of Tucson. Speaking of Utah, and guys, got to love the seamless transitions. You know what I'm saying? When it's smooth like that, it's beautiful. But time to break down the Ute schedule here. Obviously, they have, a, they have the opener against UA, which we've already discussed. And I'm actually going to give them the nod in that game, which, again, we just discussed. So slight nod. Not a gimme, though. Again, not a gimme. After that, they travel down to L.A. where they host the Bruins. So looking at this, you should be able to jump out to 2-0 start. And even though I think both contests will be a lot closer than the media or average fan may expect, I mean, the big game comes next because after the two winnables in their first two weeks, they host the Trojans, which should be a very, very interesting contest after last year's debacle in the Coliseum. Let me, let me reread that sentence here, guys. <laughs> I'm not even sure what I just said, <laughs> so um, seriously, after the two winnable games, they lost the Trojans, which should be a really interesting contest after last year's debacle in the Coliseum. Essentially, for those of you who don't remember, Utah got lit up by a third-string quarterback in a loss that some may consider embarrassing, probably a lot of people would, and I think this game should prove the most important matchup on their schedule, at least the most intriguing, that's for sure, definitely the most intriguing. Going to be very interesting to see how they respond after getting carved by Matt Fink last year. So, the following week, they traveled down to Tempe, which also is a game that could have South title implications on the line. Very important to note that. And for the Utes, games 3 and 4 will likely dictate the Utes' success this season. Many analysts have projected USC or ASU as the favorite teams in the South this year, with the Trojans probably being the consensus favorite. Consensus is in the right word, but probably more people are picking them than ASU. So bottom line is, it should be interesting to see how Utah fares in these matchups, considering they are still the two-time defending South champs. Easy to forget that in college football because things move so quickly, but as it stands right now, again, they are still the two-time defending South champs. They round out their schedule on an easier note as they host Oregon State, then they travel to Boulder where they face rival Colorado. I'd expect the Utes to win both these contests. However, OSU could give them a run for their money again and again. This is due to the absence of fans. I think if you have the must in the stands, it's just going to be a blowout. Not a blowout, but a very comfortable one for Utah. But without the fans, I think that the Beavers can prove a sneaky team. And they should not be taken lightly. That's for darn sure. They have enough talent on offense to get it done. From the looks of it, it looks like the Pac-12 really did everything in their power to give Utah a chance to defend the South title. And I actually really respect that. I mean, given the unforeseeable circumstances, the champs are still the champs until proven otherwise. No, I just said that, but that's for real. And they should be given the benefit of the doubt. I mean, again, two-time South Division champs. Gotta respect that. Bottom line, though, and most importantly, obviously you need players to win games. They lost an absolutely enormous amount of talent. I mean, they lost freaking just about everything. They still do have arguably the best coach in the conference in Kyle Whittingham, so I do think they'll be a tough out. As long as he's coaching, they're usually very well coached, have a solid defense, solid special teams, And play smart, efficient offense. So again, can't count out the Utes by any measure here. But let me be clear, guys. And let me be very clear. That does not mean I'm picking them to repeat as South champs. The loss of the must cannot be overstated enough, guys. Their fans are truly, truly amazing. Alright, so guys. Let's hop from the beautiful mountains of Salt Lake. Over to the rolling hills of the Palouse, baby. So the final schedule we're going to break down today is going to be the Washington State Cougars. And we're just going to get right to it right now. They open up the season in Corvallis against the beeves in a contest that could really go either way. I'm thinking that OSU wins a high-scoring game by just a very, very slim margin. For WSU, much like U of A, the opener is absolutely huge. They need to find a way to beat the Beavs. That, that's just point blank. This season is going to get out of hand very, very quickly if they don't. And for Nick Rolovich, obviously this is his first game being head coach at WSU, so He has to find a way to win in Corvallis. If not, he could be fired by the end of year one. It's seriously that serious. So after the OSU contest, the Cougs host Oregon, which will likely be a loss. I mean, that's going to be a loss. I don't know why I said likely. (laughs) They're going to lose. And that's followed by a trip down to the farm in Stanford. And the game against the Cardinal is another 50-50 contest. And I actually don't feel comfortable picking until we see both these teams in action The Cardinal, we don't really know what to expect. Obviously expecting improvement because they're going to have an offensive line this year. Not expecting seven freaking injuries to the line. And for the Cougs, they had some really weird offseason stuff. Obviously new head coach, but the whole kind of players under the player movement, role of it's being recorded. Should be interesting to see how that kind of favors in here. And again, just a new system. The run and shoot should be kind of hard to implement or will be hard to implement on a shortened offseason. So... Most importantly, though, and quickly to reiterate, for the Cougs, games one and three on their schedule will determine the outcome of their season. I mean, those two games, game one and three against the Beavs and against the Cardinal is just about everything. The rest of their slate is extremely stacked. (laughs) I mean, extremely, extremely stacked. So if they don't win game one and three on their schedule, they could realistically go one and five or even the vaunted 0-6 season. See what I did there with the word vaunted? Nice little play on words. If they can come out of the opening three games though with a 2 200 record, they at least give themselves a chance at a 500 season. And looking at the back half of the schedule, they start by hosting Washington in the Apple Cup. This game could be a potential upset, but more likely than not, UW's defense is going to take over the contest, allowing the Huskies a comfortable victory. That's what's happened over the last five or six years. Can't really see that changing this season. They round out their campaign by traveling down to LA for a duel with the Trojans before heading back home to host Cal in the final game of the season. And again, both these matchups will likely be losses for the Cougs. So, if you're looking at how the Pac-12 really laid out the schedules this year, I mean, WCU fits the trend with U of A and UCLA as teams that the conference did absolutely no favors for. I mean, in a six-game season, the Cougs get Oregon, UW, Cal, and USC. And <laughs> not like trips to Corvallis and Palo Alto are gimmies either. So bottom line is this year could prove really tough for WC Rolovich. In totality, as we've gone through half the teams on our schedule analysis over the last two weeks, again, and I'm not here to debate the ethics of this said this last week, but it's obvious that the Pacto selection committee, I mean, they created one of the most unbalanced schedules in recent memory. If they thought you would a chance at the CFP, they did everything in their power to make it happen. Oregon, USC, and even Utah benefited from these tactics. However, teams like WSU, UCLA, and U of A were essentially thrown to the wolves, for lack of better terms. With that being said, though, and this is one thing that I think is vitally important. Again, putting on my basketball coach hat here. Still hate that freaking analogy. Why do we talk about hats? But with that being said, guys, no team has any room for excuses, and they must find a way to execute at their highest level regardless of circumstances. The beautiful thing about sports is that anything truly can happen, and you just never know. You really never know. Maybe a team like U of A or WCU can shock the world and compete for a division title. You just don't know. But again, we've gone through about half the teams here now, actually exactly half. Six teams last two weeks. Wow. I mean, the discrepancy in schedule is just very, very, very notable. I mean, when you looked at the first three teams last week, it was a little bit notable, but getting halfway through the conference, I mean... These lesser teams are really really gonna have a tough go of it, but either way should be a lot of fun to watch. And hopefully the tactics do work off and somehow a team lands in the CFP for the call or for the Pac-12. Could be Oregon, USC, Washington. For me, those are probably the only realistic choices, and none of them are even really that realistic. I mean, I don't think any of these teams are probably good enough. But and that's neither here nor there. We're getting kind of random here. Are, are we getting kind of random here? Yes, we are, which means it is time for Bartlett's random topic of the day. And this one's going to be tr- <laughs> truly, truly random, guys. I do not know how this came to me. I was sitting around like a couple hours ago, actually like an hour ago, just laying down. I would all, you know, the rest of my notes laid out, which decided to hop all over the place today, guys. Thanks, computer screen. But uh, I was laying down like, should I talk about John Wooden and, you know, his positive outlook on life? Should I talk about society coming together? Should I get all deep and delvey and divey and deep? Okay, you got what I'm saying. But instead of doing that, want to know what came to me? Don't know how. How do people get their teeth so freaking white? I do not understand, guys. I like brush my teeth two or three times a day. I use like organic toothpaste, like organic mouthwash. Some fancy ass. Ew, I was trying to not swear, and I said ass. Whatever. Some fancy-ish. And I swear, my teeth are still not that perfectly crispy whiteness. Like, you see like those people, they just have like those smiles and they just freaking like light up the room. Do you guys dye that? Like, do you dye your teeth? Because I just don't understand how teeth can be that white. I mean, if you drink alcohol, they're going to be a little yellow. If you drink coffee, they're going to be a little yellow. I personally drink green tea, which I think is actually probably worse for your teeth than both. I mean... I just don't understand it. Like, I don't understand it. Like, I think I've, like, spent frickin' 10 hours brushing my teeth in the last year trying to get them whiter, and they're just, like, it's they're nice. They're not, like, frickin', like, sorry for the reference, but old-school 1700s haven't had access to toothpaste and tooth flossing and all that stuff yet. I mean, my teeth are, like, you know, nice, but, like, dude, like, how do people get that just Beautiful, glimmering white smile. That's all I got for Barla's random topic of the day. Hey, I bought some tooth I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. So (laughs) let's see what happens. Maybe I'll have an answer to my own question next week. In conclusion, guys, thanks for tuning as always. But first, it's cool to see that family members are going to be allowed in packed all stadiums this year. I think that's a win for the conference, players, and family members alike. Really just good work all around. I'm very, very happy to hear this news. In regards to the schedules, WCU and UA are going to be extremely difficult to navigate. Excuse me, WCU and UA schedules are going to be extremely difficult to navigate. And it's likely that both these teams finish near the bottom of their respective divisions. The Utes could still be an outside selection when the South do their favorable schedule. But in my opinion, I just think losing the must may be too much to overcome. Touched on it in the body of this podcast. But man, their student section is wild. It's crazy. They have an amazing fan base, and yeah, just losing losing those guys is really gonna hurt the Utes. It really, really is. And Bartlett's random topic of the day is it better? <laughs> like, how do y'all get your teeth so white? I just don't freaking get it. Is like, I just do not understand. Yeah. Kudos, to y'all, people. I don't know if y'all brush your teeth like eighteen times a day or what it is, but kudos to the people of just that like magnificently, perfectly white smile. I respect the hustle, baby so guys i'm off to go cook up some food been a lot of fun went through my notes l- 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 losing them <laughs> but guys seriously most importantly here pac-12 football is only a couple of weeks away i'm thinking i think it's about like three weeks at this point so very very close ancient closer each and every day and there should be a lot of excitement building as the weeks get a little bit closer here cheetos and tuna